0: adventure, we're a movie podcast where every week we sit down and have a discussion about a film. This week, we're talking about The Third Man, directed by Carol Reed from 1949. I'm your international spy... It's not a spy movie.
1: It's not. It feels like one, but it's not,
0: I'm your. I'm your host who faked his death, Aiden Walker.
1: And I'm your alcoholic, fedora-wearing second host. Blake Peterson I don't feel like second host is a thing I should have just said co-host but my brain just
0: the true order of things has been revealed I guess so I really
1: I really am the second I'm the supplement the supplement
0: <laughs> oh man don't don't make me the protagonist of this podcast I'm that is like, too much I'm like pressure. the fish
1: oil of this podcast what I'm is just, what
0: does that mean
1: like the fish oil supplement have you heard oh of that? Sub- okay. yeah gives you, I'm you I'm good hair you. apparently yeah I've never had it but I I don't know if I want to because I heard that when you burp it, it has like a salmon taste. I was just about
0: to say that. It's just an unpleasant burping experience. I love
1: salmon, but I don't want to burp that. So,
0: hashtag (laughs) don't want to burp that. Hit us up on Twitter with that hashtag and we'll know. It's going to explode.
1: It's going to go viral. We're going to become famous.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Um, like you had seen this one before. I
1: have seen this before.
0: Several years ago, you said, right?
1: Yeah, it has to be. I would say like seven or eight years ago was the first time, which feels so recent, but no.
0: This was the first time I had seen it.
1: Wow. It's an exciting thing.
0: (laughs) It was kind of hard to hear. It was a quiet movie. Quiet.
1: A little quiet. Everyone is, well, not everyone's British, but there's not even British. Everyone just has accents, but my brain was like British automatically. I think
0: most people in the movie are Austrian and German. Austrian
1: and German. I think the director's British, so I think that's why I was like... Thinking about that.
0: I would imagine with a name like Carol Reed, mm, probably British. I love that name. It's a good name. Yeah. Speaking of which, there is a great line in this movie where the, the police officer is being talked to by the protagonist and he's like, listen to me, Callahan. The police officer says, Calloway, not Callahan. I'm British, not Irish. Mm,
1: he just looks British. Oh. What's his little or I'm
0: English, not Irish, excuse me.
1: What is, do you know the name of like the hat he's wearing? It's like a weird, I feel like it's partially like falling off his head. It feels almost to me like a bougie side beanie. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. Do you know what I mean?
0: A bougie side beanie?
1: I really don't know the name of it.
0: Are you trying to describe a beret?
1: Perhaps. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think you might be trying to describe a be. beret.
1: Well, bougie side beanie and second host are just new things I'm going to trademark. There you go. So, hashtag don't burp that. Uh-oh. There's going to be some hashtags. It should be <laughs> like a hashtag count. At the end of the episode. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. I was doing uh, a hashtag, not a hashtag. I was doing a count (laughs) while we watched this movie. Well, I watched this movie because Mm -hmm. they did your favorite thing in this movie a number of times, which is they said the title.
1: I got so excited. I'm sure you did. But it's like such an exciting version of like saying the title because it like, it's like a little plot twist in the mystery. Like actually there was a third man in this death is pushing the plot forward. So that's exciting.
0: And then after they say it the first time, no, there was a third man. And they say, but who was the third man? <laughs> a couple so more So good.
1: Uh, do you want to give? I always assign this task to you every That's week. And I'm going to do it again. I guess if I do, fun fact, I'll just make you do the plot every week. That's fair. So do you want to give a plot description I for everyone? I will
0: do my darndest.
1: Is that an IMDb app? Yes. I didn't know they had an app. Good for you. How,
0: how are you alive on this I don't use
1: applications Excuse unless me? they're relating are to you, are social you, media. Are you
0: in the browser always? Most of the time.
1: Wow. Especially on IMDb, yeah. Sorry.
0: That's incredible. <laughs> I just want to make sure I have this up so that I know everybody's name.
1: That's good, yeah, because I don't know anyone's yeah. name at all, except for maybe the main two people.
0: There's a man named Holly Martins who's played by Joseph Cotton who goes to the city of Vienna in Austria. He's a novelist. He's going to visit a friend named Harry Lime. Which is a very funny name.
1: <laughs> All these names are great. Yeah. Holly Martins. Holly Martins. Ugh, It's so a good. great
0: name. <laughs> Holly Martins, he's a novelist. He goes to Austria, to, yeah, to Vienna, to visit his friend Harry Limes, only to find out from a porter at the uh, apartment complex that Harry lives in that Harry Lime lo- di- <laughs> died the day before he got there. And he talks to the porter who only speaks some English and gets the story that Harry was hit by a car. And then pulled out of the street by three men.
1: I thought it was two men, and then that's the reveal. Right. So it's a it's third okay. Man. It's
0: two men, but sheesh, then sheesh. they find out later when he talks to the porter again, the porter says three men. Ooh. And then everybody else is saying it's two men and it's this whole conspiracy. And he's trying to figure out who was the third man. They get he gets this conflicting information about plans that were made that could have only been made after this man's death. And he says he wouldn't have had time. Apparently, he died instantly when he was hit by the car, yada, yada, yada. It's eventually revealed that Harry is still alive, or at least Holly believes he's alive. And then the resulting movie is him trying to find him. And then once he has found him, there's <laughs> some, some action.
1: Yes, some good action, some, some good, action. good plot twists. Harry's such a scoundrel. It's he too is. much. He's so bad. Orson
0: Welles is, and Harry is played by Orson Welles.
1: Orson Welles is so just smug. I love it. He's I feel a like very good villain. Sorry to interrupt you. He's a great villain. I feel like even when he's playing the good guy, like he's just so smug and I just feel like he knows he's smarter than everyone. I mean, I feel like Orson is, but he's very aware of that, which yes. I like. So what were your kind of instantaneous reactions to this movie? This was your first time watching. How did you take to it?
0: You know, it's visually, it reads as a noir film. It really does. Right? It's very dark, really angular. It's got a lot of fun architecture, a lot of dark streets, scheming people, noir stuff. <laughs> so, here's the funny thing, though, is that the soundtrack doesn't say noir at all. No. It's got this very plucky, fun sound. It's The instrument that they play is called a zither. It's Ooh. a multiple-stringed instrument, which you see, actually, during the title cards at the beginning um. of the film. Uh, it's like a it's like a guitar that you lay down flat, and it has many, many strings. Oh, just it's unconventionally filmed. I mm. would say it's it's got the most Dutch angle of any movie I've ever seen. It's
1: like almost completely. I feel like a lot of Dutch angles, a lot of close-ups. It's just very uncomfortable.
0: And I guess Dutch angle is kind of a film term. We should probably explain it yeah. for those who may not know. Dutch angle is when the camera is just re- just tilted a little mm-hmm. bit, so the the plane of vision isn't uh, even or level. Yeah. Uh, so one side of the screen will appear higher than the other and it's usually mm-hmm. I guess in like interpretive film, you would kind of look at that and say, oh, this means that there's some kind of emotional unbalance or something like that. Yeah like, mo- oh there's a l- I've never seen this much Dutch angle in a movie. It's a lot it's of it's pretty uh, it's it's a little unsettling.
1: yeah I honestly kept thinking of that really horrible. John Travolta's movie, Battlestar, what's it called? Not Battlestar Galactica, Battlefield Earth, that's what it's called. John Travolta and one, is in that? He is, yeah, he's the lead guy. But that one, yeah. I remember, was like mocked mercilessly because it had so many Dutch angles. So it just comes to show when Dutch angles are used correctly, like they are here to great effect, and then when it's a movie like um, Battlefield Earth, definitely not as effective. <laughs> but yeah, here, I mean, it's very well used because you have the Dutch angles, the close-ups paired with this kind of carnival music from hell, I'd say, and so there's just consistently this feeling of unease.
0: Now, I know we talk about this fun yellow guy a lot on the podcast, but did the music in this movie remind you at all of the end credits music from Spongebob?
1: Oh, yeah, a little bit. It has kind of a Spongebob vibe.
0: I got a very Spongebob vibe from the music. I'm and glad... I know that would be kind of like a way to make fun of this movie, but I kind of am down to jam with the Spongebob outro yeah. music, so they it really pretty kill good.
1: It. Yeah, I'm glad you said that after I watched it, because if you said before, like, oh, this is very similar to Spongebob, I think I would have <laughs> a very different viewing experience.
0: <laughs> He's really... Spongebob's just so in the front of our cultural uh, He's always, brains right now.
1: Did you notice the newest Spongebob memes? There's oh, the no. one of Patrick looking down. He looks evil. Uh, I've seen that one. Yeah. And then there's the one of Spongebob panting or like out of breath next to a rock. And those have been like the, the most previous two Spongebob memes. But anyway, they're in the exact same. That's like same. a
0: weird way for you to have just dated our podcast.
1: Yeah. <laughs> whoops but <laughs> you know but here's the kicker they're from the exact same scene when no. patrick's looking down he's looking at spongebob doing that isn't that wild that's very to think wild. that Ugh.
0: i i haven't actually seen those spongebob panting in front of a rock oh one.
1: my god it's on youtube so okay. check that out it's wonderful
0: there you go <laughs> well i guess you get a an education in film terms like dutch angle and in spongebob yes memes from you this have podcast, to get so.
1: We have to be multifaceted as, much as possible. That's true. That's
0: true. So, just speaking about the the theme song, I hope I'm not stealing a fun fact from you, but I have to mention you this since are. we're talking about it, the theme song for this movie spent 11 weeks on the U.S. charts in 1950. Really, I did not have that on it my fun facts list. It was very, very popular.
1: Really, why?
0: People were into it. It was a jam. And then also, <laughs> and All then right. also the <laughs> the musician who played it uh, was discovered by carol reed i think maybe even in vienna but in somewhere in europe when he Mm -hmm. was traveling around he discovered this guy playing the zither in a bar oh wow for money and then he said that's great i'm gonna put you in my movie
1: freaking carol that's good Great job! He did a really good job there. That's yeah. inspiring. It was a
0: very it was it was an inspired choice.
1: <laughs> it really was an inspired choice. It
0: reminds me. I know that we're kind of on the anti-Tarantino train right now.
1: I was just gonna bring him up. Really? Yeah. Were you, you gonna mention
0: to... the Kill Bill, the five, six, seven, eight? Yeah, eights? that's what I was gonna bring yeah. him up. because Because
1: didn't he hear them in like a store in an airport Something and he was like, like that. "I want the CD now." And they're like, "Oh, well, it's our CD. He's Like, I'll buy it from you. I don't care. And then that's how we did it.
0: And they're iconic in Kill Bill. So, so. iconic. Those songs are good. The singer dances and sings with her shoes off. And
1: They're so cool. Yeah. I have those songs on my I iPod. I walk like
0: Jane Mansfield.
1: Mm, so good. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Woohoo song, classic. Yes. <laughs> uh, all amazing. The music reminded me a lot, too, of uh, Touch of Evil, which is an Orson Welles movie that he directed. But that one has a consistent, it's like this song from a player piano that just kind of jangles in the background throughout the a lot of the movie and so really i feel like in general i mean i know this isn't an orson welles movie he didn't direct it he just started it he only i guess did his scenes in like a week he's only in the movie for like five minutes even okay. though he, i mean he's such an important part of it but a lot of it does remind me of his movies especially he had just made the lady from shanghai which is also similarly very disorienting and a lot of awkward angles and strange music and so it feels very, it very, feels very much in sync with his filmography, even though he is yeah. just a part of it.
0: It fits really well. He also, despite having five minutes really of screen time, it's probably a little bit more than that. But it's it's very little. Yeah. Despite his short appearance, he has some of the best lines in the oh, whole movie. Oh, so good. Do you, when basically what happens when Holly finds harry their names are so similar i love he tells him to he he tells harry's protégés oh yeah let harry know to meet me over by this big ferris Mm -hmm. wheel over here harry shows up and the two of them get into the ferris wheel and ride it to the top and they're having this conversation and they find he finds out that harry is in hiding and he faked his death because he would be in massive legal trouble for selling diluted penicillin shots that ended up uh, making a lot of people go mad yeah. and a lot of people died because they weren't able to treat the infections that they had. So he's asking him to kind of explain his rationale for that. And while they're up in the Ferris wheel, Harry is looking down and you have this amazing shot. The sense of scale in this movie is yeah. pretty, pretty whack. It's mm-hmm. like things look very, very big and you get this idea of like how small people are in comparison to like architecture and the Ferris wheel and whatnot. But they're looking down and Orson Welles delivers this speech about imagine that you can each one of those little dots down there is worth what 20,000 pounds and if you if you just let them disappear let them die you will make that kind of money And he's just justifying his evil. Holly asks him, he says something along the lines of, I'd be pretty easy to get rid of, huh? Because he's the only one who knows that Harry's alive. And he says, I don't think the coroner would look for a bullet wound if you fell from this height. (laughs) Like he's going to just shoot him and then just push him out and make it look like he jumped. It's too much. It's really dark. (laughs) Well, that
1: whole scene's so unsettling because, I mean, I feel like the Lime character is so... He's one of those people who can really excuse his wrongdoings really well, and so he's kind of saying what he's done, and he's very he still kind of has this weird Mona Lisa smile as he's kind of talking about his wrongdoings and giving his rationales for kind of why he did it. And it's so sinister because he clearly doesn't really feel bad about any of it. And then there's kind of this added dimension because, I mean, you come into the movie thinking that he and Holly were really, really good friends, and so this movie you know, partially is driven by the fact that Holly really doesn't know anything about Lime at all, despite knowing him for a pretty long time. It's just a lot of revelatory stuff that's wrapped up in all this criminality, so.
0: You know, speaking of Orson Welles, did you ever see, did you ever watch F for Fake?
1: I did, yeah. I really liked F for Fake. That's
0: a fun movie.
1: It's so, it's so self-indulgent, and I feel like, I mean, Orson Welles loves himself, I think. Oh, yeah, and yeah. And that's just for like, sure. I feel like... The apex of him loving himself, but it's so fun. I feel like because there's a very clear, I mean, even though he is, I think, a little bit too self confident, whatever, it's kind of infectious in a way in his self Like, oh, you know, yeah. it's not, it doesn't distance you. He's just kind of like, look at how great I am. You should enjoy this greatness with me. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, and, and Effor kind of Fake is so great. He's, it's seen you know, it's this movie about famous fakers, which yeah. is kind of what his character in this movie is mm-hmm. somebody who's faked his death. Yeah. Uh, he talks about people who forge paintings yeah. and, just make produce fakeries in different ways. Yeah. So he tells these stories, and there's this one point near the end of the film where he he tells a story about picasso and how he had this beach house and how there was this woman he was in love with and then you're he's like a, it's a very long story it's like 15 yeah. or 20 minutes of this story and at the end of it he comes on with his deep voice and he says i must confess to you dear watchers for i am a charlatan and he tells you like <laughs> that story was entirely fabricated oh, so like good. it's not true mm-hmm. and he's wearing this big hat and like a cloak it's amazing I highly recommend f or fake oh for sure i'm gonna throw it in my recommendations at the end <laughs> you gotta
1: do it I mean, this movie, clearly you have to reveal Harry Line, but I kept thinking about what would happen if he just never showed up at all because he is such an exemplary MacGuffin. I don't, do you know what a MacGuffin is?
0: I recognize the term. You'll have to explain it.
1: So it's like basic, it's kind of like the Maltese Falcon object. It's like something that the characters are all kind of obsessed with and driven by, but ultimately it doesn't have too much relevance because what's more important is like the characters and kind of what it reveals about them, all their obsessions with this object or whatever. So Harry Lamb's kind of like a human version of that. So I kept thinking about like throughout the movie, like what if he just never showed up at all? And they were all just kind of not driven crazy necessarily, but they all just kind of get lost in their obsession with finding out exactly what happened to him. It would be such a different movie, I think, if it were kind of the – because it already does – it reminds me of The Maltese Falcon anyway because there is so much kind of following these leads that are these – kind of eccentric funny character. so i already got vibes from that and then plus the lime kind of paralleling with the falcon
0: we do get that scene about three quarters of the way through the movie where they dig up harry lime's supposed grave and they Mm. find another guy in the grave who was somehow he was a business partner of harry he was the other guy working with the penicillin but if they had saved that scene for the end and instead harry was dead and he Mm -hmm. wasn't there and they had this whole theory that there was a third guy or the third guy maybe is somebody else who was posing as Harry, There could have been a number of different ways that this twist could have gone. And I mm-hmm. think either of these other solutions that we've just proposed would probably have different readings and meanings for the characters yeah. and the and message I, of the movie.
1: I still think it would be a strong movie, even if there was like an additional yeah. mystery or if it had like an unsatisfying conclusion, would all be interesting. Because I think these characters, even before Lime shows up, they are really interesting. Especially, I mean, Holly is, he kind of writes these unimportant pulp novels, basically. And so he's kind of already disaffected by the way his career is kind of built on these throwaway pieces of literature they're not even really literature <laughs> I feel like it's kind of being too nice oh, man. um <laughs> and then you have what is Lime's girlfriend's name is her name Anna
0: Anna Schmidt and she's played Anna. by Alita Volley
1: yes um and then she's really interesting as well because she is I mean Harry's old lover and then she also is this actress who seems also kind of disaffected with her job in the way that is, And they kind of seem like they're gonna have a romantic connection. They don't really, though. But oh, you're no, kind of no, they
0: they super don't. And that very, the last shot of the movie tells you that.
1: <laughs> that's such a good last such shot. Such
0: a good last shot.
1: I love it. But yeah, these characters I already really taken with them. And then you have all the really goofy supporting characters who know more. There's like one guy. <laughs> he like has this weird coat I think there's fur inside it and he has this silly hat and he carries around this little dog everywhere he goes oh yeah (laughs) kind of a lot like Peter Lorre's character I think in the Maltese Falcon kind of this kooky guy yeah but you have him and then like the guy who is he he like witnessed the death and he lives in the kind of the building the porter yeah the porter with like great hair, and so you have all these really fun side characters as well. So
0: my favorite side character is the woman wrapped in the blanket who just yells at everybody in <laughs> German anytime they go close to her house. That or it's doctor. So that or doctor Winkle. Oh. Who, the, who Holly continuously calls Doctor Winkle.
1: <laughs> so disrespectful. Very disrespectful. Ugh, Holly. All these characters are really fascinating. Which I mean, sign of a strong movie, I think. Too is when you honestly like d- don't even have to have a very streamlined plot. You could just kind of spend time with the characters and unravel them and you'd still be fascinated, so. I don't know if you recognize Valley, too, from She's in Suspiria. She plays, like, the really matronly ballet instructor.
0: Oh. Mm-hmm.
1: That was one of her little late career moves.
0: <laughs> I see.
1: This is kind of the height of her fame. At the time, she was trying to be sold in America America's exotic import in a way. So they even... Build her a lot not as Alita Valley but just Valley which she didn't like because she felt like they were just really trying too hard to make her seem cooler than she was mm. um, so this was, I would say this is probably the peak of her professional success she did a couple more good stuff in her younger years and then did stuff like subsperia
0: I'm just looking at her appearances mm-hmm. apparently she was in a movie called Tender Dracula or Ooh. Confessions of a Blood Drinker oh
1: my god I want to see that so bad which
0: stars her and uh, Peter Cushing
1: Oh, oh my! That sounds really good because I really like Peter is. Cushing.
0: Let's see. I don't trust IMDb uh, and their I movie either. ratings. It says that it's a 4.3 out of 10. They're lying. That has oh, to be a man. masterpiece. It, then I go to the real <laughs> reviews and it says, oops, that page cannot be found. Oh my gosh. So this it is seems a like this is a, a sleeper hit. Oh, you got to pursue it. Allmovie.com, which I have never heard of. I feel like Wait, I've heard of it. I've never Le gone grand on it. The That's not even the same one. The okay. what? Don't worry about it. <laughs> it doesn't exist. <laughs> You'll have to watch it for yourself and find out. Yeah. <laughs> Burnout. What do you got? <laughs> How you feeling?
1: Um, what did I? I feel like these are very throwaway comments. There's the kid who throws a ball during this kind of intense conversation. I just want to say that he's a very cute little kid, he even is. though very very kind of a brat, cheeks. but adorable. Throw that in there. I love the kooky guy's dog that I mentioned earlier. Very. Very enjoyable little dog there. Very well behaved. Also, I really just, I I guess this could be a larger point, but I do like Cotton's casting. He wasn't originally wanted by the people who were making this movie, but I feel like he, there's something boyish to me about his face. I don't know what it is. So I feel like you kind of believe his dissatisfaction a little bit more just because you can see this weariness on this almost childish face. So I think the casting really worked out. I think James Stewart was supposed to play him. I think that's later in Fun Facts. It was either James Stewart or Cary Grant, so I think that was a really good solid choice of them i mean solid choice for them to pick him so
0: well on that note i think let's (laughs) i think let's uh let's hit some fun facts let's do it all
1: right so the vienna police department does have a special unit that is Or maybe at the time. I don't know about now. But they're assigned to solely patrol the sewer system because it's really intricate. And so, like, a lot of... Because it is so intricate, it is used oftentimes, like, to smuggle drugs and do criminal misdeeds, basically. So the actors who were playing police officers in the movie who didn't really have speaking lines actually were just police people that were in the area. That's pretty cool. I love that. Good touch. Okay, here's what I was kind of saying earlier. So, yeah, originally they kind of wanted Jimmy Stewart and Cary Grant. Stewart would have been Holly Martins, but... The producer, David O. Selznick, really wanted Cotton because he was under contract at the time and Stewart was not. And so because they decided on Cotton, Reed really wanted Wells because they had collaborated before, like on Citizen Kane. And Selznick didn't want Wells because Wells you had like a bunch of box office bombs. And so he was like, this guy's box office poison. We don't want to ruin this movie. But... They just went along with it anyway. So they did not get Cary Grant, like Selznick had originally wanted. Martin Scorsese was a really big fan of the movie, and so when he was in film school, he wrote a thesis paper on it, and he got a B B+. And the professor apparently just thought it was like a silly thriller movie, and so he was a little disappointed that Scorsese picked that as his topic because it wasn't like a serious enough movie, I guess.
0: <laughs> Are there any movies that Scorsese isn't a big fan of? I
1: really, I need to know. He loves I feel everything. Like, I feel like he could watch Troll 2 and be like, you know... There's just something good about it, you know? I, don't I mean, you wouldn't be it. wrong, though,
0: right? Because <laughs> there is something quite quite unifying about that, that movie. It really, you watch it with your friends, and you just feel closer. It's wonderful.
1: It's a great movie that brings people together. When the movie was initially distributed in America, Selznick replaced the narration at the beginning of the movie, which was necessary because you had to, like, explain all the different facets of Vienna, which is, I think, also kind of a confusing way to start the movie like that. But, I mean, it does pay off eventually, and it does kind of clarify things so it was originally done by carol reed and then they had like a narration with joseph cotton so they like kind of flipped that i guess during that when selznick was distributing things and then 11 minutes of the film was cut out in selznick's version and including all references to martin's like him being implied as an alcoholic that was taken out as well so then he would look like a kind of straightforward heroic character which that's kind of a bummer because i feel like that makes him a little bit more interesting because I think his, that alcoholism adds that dynamic of he's kind of the tortured hero, which I always prefer to just like the all-American, nothing's wrong with him hero. So
0: Yeah, um, I, it seems like his only flaw is that he's too curious. Yeah, really. You know, it's just that he he shows up to Vienna and his friend has died. And instead of being like, oh, man, and then attending the funeral and just kind of going mm-hmm. home and being sullen, he's like, I'm going to figure this out. Are <laughs> you a detective? No, I'm a novelist. Like, okay.
1: He's so determined. He has to have just a lot of time on his hands if he's really going to be like, you know... It well, could be a mystery.
0: Originally, he's going to go home, but then he's able to get that that job yeah. teaching.
1: There you go. You caught me That there. lets him stay. That was good.
0: <laughs> so they do explain that, which is yeah. good. If they hadn't, we would have been like, how's this guy making any money? And <laughs> staying in this weird Vienna that's split into factions because it's post-war.
1: So during meetings between Graham Greene, who was a novelist who wrote the screenplay, this was his only screenplay, meetings between him and Carol Reed with Selznick, Greene was always really like less than impressed with Selznick because he had become kind of a parody of himself. He was kind of really playing up the powerful movie mogul role. And Green, I guess, would mock Selznick's dependency on the d- the drug dexedrine, which was speed, basically. Which is funny because Reed became addicted to speed when he was shooting this because they were kind of on a tight schedule. Like, while this was done, like, Reed and Selznick were working with, like, two hours' worth of sleep a night. And so they were very dependent on speed, so... That was kind of a plot twist of a fun fact, but... <laughs> wow,
0: that's kind of a sad plot twist.
1: That's such a sad plot twist. I mean, it didn't seem to affect the quality of their work, so I guess that's good, but also should sleep a little bit more. Yeah. Not new speed. I should write an essay about that for, like, GQ or something. Yeah, where smells only worked a week, I think I mentioned that. Afterward, he starred in a British radio series called The Adventures of Harry Lime uh, in the 50s, which were based on the early adventures of this character, which is a little bit of a bummer since this character is evil. I don't know if I want any... <laughs> adventures but I guess the 50s disagreed with me. Reed really wanted to capture the atmosphere of a beleaguered city on film and so he was helped by a lot of the city officials and inhabitants so like they couldn't. It wasn't raining at the time, so like the wet streets that we see, that was just people. The city would provide a fire brigade to wet things down, and a lot of residents were extras as well. So all worked together. Very precious. Oh, okay. So then, when William Wyler, who was a really popular director at the time, when he saw the cut of the third man, he sent, he sarcastically sent Reed a spirit level with a note, and it said, "Carol, next time you make a picture, just put it on top of the camera, will you?" So he really, I guess, did not take much his use of Dutch angles. So I'm going to have to disagree with Weiler though. That's pretty funny. It's pretty good. Weiler's great though. So I guess, you know, that kind of feedback would be interesting. I'm almost done. (laughs) (laughs) Wells did not want to do his filming in the Vienna sewers because he was worried he would get like some kind of disease. So smart,
0: smart move. <laughs> Go with your gut there,
1: honestly. So, they mostly used the body double when you saw him running, and then during close ups or kind of medium shots, I guess they built a bunch of sets replicating the Vienna sewers in England. And so, Wells filmed them over there. So, about 85% of the movie that he's in, um, that was shot in Vienna, and then 15% was done in uh England. But yeah, those are my fun facts for today. There was really a lot. I feel like last week I did not have that many, so it was really a mouthful.
0: Short <laughs> to the point. High and low was basically one giant fun fact of a movie to begin with. It
1: really was. So Just nonstop. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Boy, speaking of that sewer scene, though, that was something. It's such a good That shot that they have is like the promotional image that I saw all over the internet Mm -hmm. for it of – Harry standing at the very end of this long hallway with this light coming from behind mm-hmm. him, and it's just all brickwork of the sewer. It's wet and just grungy. It looks it's so. Amazing. It looks like the Chamber of Secrets.
1: Mm-hmm. Talk about really immersing you in that setting. You can feel how cold and wet it is down there, and you can feel the labyrinthine nature of it. It's just all. It's such a good climax. I think
0: it really is. Yeah,
1: because I feel like the whole movie is kind of like a maze anyway. You have all these weird angle so you always feel pretty lost and then so to complete it with this one we're like people are literally lost because they're running around in a very complicated sewer it's just so fitting yeah do you have anything else
0: i think i'm just about how i think that's about what i got yeah
1: i don't know if i have any more points I necessarily with
0: that we will move on to recommendations all right why don't you start us off
1: All right, so I mentioned this movie earlier. I went with, for one of my recommendations, The Lady from Shanghai, which came out two years before this. That movie was uh, directed by Orson Welles. And that movie, at the time, was famously a huge disaster. He had done this final cut that he really liked, uh, had this kind of cinema verite style, was kind of a comedy thriller, and then studios hated it and, like, mangled it. Basically, they cut out a ton of the runtime. A lot of the footage is lost now, and so... For years it had been kind of considered this disaster, but in recent years it's been reappraised and I just watched it myself and I actually think it's really great. I think the studio interference really makes it better in a way because it's kind of like a story about a ruined American dream. And so having this very awkward look and feel because of this combination of Wells' stuff and studio stuff, it just adds to that unease. Um, basically, he plays an Irish sailor in it who kind of gets involved with the wrong crowd, gets convinced to do a murder, and then he's set up. Basically, not a very straightforward plot, kind of confusing, but I think that adds to it. It just you're supposed to get lost in it in the ways that you kind of do with *The Third Man*. This movie is definitely better with story, but *Lady from Shanghai* is really good atmosphere-wise. So,
0: so uh, what what does cinema verite mean? What is that?
1: I don't know if his was really that. It's just kind of like when you're really trying to have a realistic style, almost documentary-like, just very static and not really artsy, just kind of showing things as they would unfold without any of that glitz, which is a little bit difficult to do, especially in old Hollywood, so that's probably why they didn't enjoy that, (laughs) kind Mm -hmm. of, because I guess his shot, I don't think it had, his original version didn't have very many, like, close-ups and things. It was all kind of zoomed out, so... Gotcha. And then another one. I was just thinking of movies with really good MacGuffins, and so I thought of 1955's *Kiss Me Deadly*, which is, I think, one of the top five films noirs. There, it's a fantastic movie. It weirdly, even though it is a film noir movie, it does, it feels very pulpy and almost sci-fi in a way, even though it's not a science fiction movie. And that MacGuffin is this. They actually paid homage to it in Pulp Fiction. It's this suitcase that when you open it, basically it's ex- not really explodes. It ha- emits this really bright light, and then whoever opens it, like, gets set on fire. It's really weird, but <laughs> they have that. And that one is really just, like, a detective story that is pretty eccentrically told. Similarly, really cool MacGuffin, and I think, you know, has really evocative style like this movie does. So go with that. Yeah, what are yours?
0: Uh, so I'm gonna recommend F for Fake like what we were talking about earlier just for some more good wells gotta get some wells Uh, yeah gotta get some wells (laughs) he's just such a character that Mm -hmm. I I thought that he it's a shame that he's not in the third man more but I also kind of like that he's this kind of reserved character and he's he himself is a surprise reveal you know if you want Full frontal Orson Welles. I was not, nervous where that was going. Not, not naked. But if like, you want oh.
1: that. It feels if very you, like disturbing.
0: <laughs> yeah. If, you, if you're If you into getting a lot of Welles in your life, <laughs> uh, watch Effer Fake because yeah. he is front and center.
1: I kind of wish he did more documentaries like that because you really are getting Welles as he is in a way, even though he, there's a lot of trickery. Like it is very much you're getting a taste of who he is in front of the screen, which is really fun.
0: The guy's just got such a voice.
1: Oh, his voice is so good. It's very good. He was just made to be like a narrator. It's amazing. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) It sure is. And then the other movie I want to recommend is In Bruges, which is a really Mm. great kind of sad movie about two (laughs) hitmen. It's very funny, but also quite sad, about two hitmen who run away to Bruges after they're sent on a mission to assassinate a priest. Mm. And one of the hitmen... Uh, he shoots the priest, but the bullet goes through this man and ends up killing a child who is oh. praying in the church. So they have to get out uh, of Dodge and hide uh, from the legal authorities. Mm. So while they're in Bruges, some some things happen, some things unfold. It gets a little bit murky. It gets pretty sad. But I'm recommending it because the third man made me really, really want to go to Vienna. Yeah. And it really gives you a sense of what that area feels like or felt like at the time. hmm and in bruges does the same thing with the city of bruges which i have now been to after seeing oh. the movie and i was just blown away because there were there were physical locations that i would walk by in the city and i was like that that's in the movie mm. like i ate lunch at a place right next to a statue that that i saw in the movie and i was like this is bananas <laughs> but i think also i wanted to recommend it because there's a shot in in bruges that i believe is actually direct reference to the third man um. Uh, now that i've seen it when harry is running away from the police at the end of the film and he's shot Mm -hmm. uh, either in the lower back or in the legs he can't walk anymore he is climbing up the spiral staircase and you get a shot looking down the stairs at him as he's trying to climb up Mm -hmm. towards the camera and there's a similar shot of a character who's been shot in the legs Hmm. trying to climb up a spiral staircase to the top of the uh main bell tower which is in the the center of Bruges. Oh, interesting. So I thought that I'd recommend that because they're, I would say, I wouldn't, I would say that they're visually somewhat similar. Yeah. Although In Bruges is much more focused on this is what Bruges looks like and you should really know what the, what Bruges looks like. Because yeah. it's beautiful. Oh,
1: interesting. I had to rewatch it. I watched it, I think, similarly like seven years ago, so I don't really remember it at all. It's,
0: a, it's one of my favorites, I think. Oh, it's a great movie.
1: Gotta check it out.
0: That's what I got. Those are my racks. All right. Well, if you want to hear more of us talking about movies, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Wherever you find podcasts or our website, uwpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at The Filmcast, and you can find us on our personal accounts at Aiden Walker or at Blake W. Peterson. If you want to write with us with a suggestion for a movie to watch or want to share your thoughts, you can shoot us an email at cinemaadventurepodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, please share it with a friend, retweet it on social media, or review it on iTunes. That's a really good thing to do. If you want to follow along with us, next week we're going to be talking about one of Blake's favorite movies, The Big Sleep. This Ooh. is going to be intense. Yeah, it was like a big, like a deep, like a breathe out. <sighs> Usually I get a woo at that point. But well, yeah, I'll give you, you that go. too. Well, thanks. It's 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 both a deep exhale and a woo kind of movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Wow. That is good. I, I like, I just look at my notes and I always just, it always just says, when I say next week, we're talking about insert movie <laughs> more than normally I we have to edit it because I messed that all up and I forget what we were doing next week anyway
1: but you knew I knew that to be known
0: <laughs> I knew let it be known <laughs> thank you for listening and we will see you next time bye
1: Did you know Peruvians have their own type of Chinese food? Or that Vietnamese food is heavily influenced by French cuisine? Have you ever wondered what other cultures' drunk food is like? Explore these topics and more right here on the SoundBite Network. My name is Dee Dee Madigan and I'm the host of Home Plates, a podcast all about food. Catch up on the first season of Home Plates on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. New episodes air every Wednesday. Seattle Seahawks have the best offensive line in NFL history.
0: Kyle Seeger is the better Seeger brother. Markel Fultz is the best player on the Sixers. Hashtag trust the process.
1: Okay, we don't actually believe any of these things. But if you want to hear our thoughts on topics like these, tune into the Boxing Podcast with Chris Ankiko, Alec Dietz, and Andy Amashta every Friday on the SoundBite Network.